Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Father, what an inc- incredible gift we have in you. That you would pursue people who run. That you would give up your own freedom to set us free from shame and guilt. That you would die so that death has no sting left in it for us. God, we rejoice. And I pray that everything we do as your people would be defined by that truth. The relationships that we have, the communities that we form, the ways in which we love and serve, Lord Jesus, would we do it through the power of the gospel for your glory. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What's, what's wrong with us lately? I mean, just in, in general, like, it, it, it seems like, like we're just super angry all the time. I mean, life almost feels like it's, it's like one shouting match after another. I mean, just turn on the news or op- open Facebook. I made that mistake this week. Like, I went for one thing, and like 20 minutes later, I'm enmeshed in this like weird argument. I mean, as a, not as a participant, just like, like, why are we all so mad at each other, Right? Like every, everything, every conversation, every disagreement feels like it's turned up to 11. It's almost like we've forgotten how to disagree, doesn't it? And so, and so I think we, we do a couple of things in those moments. We either isolate ourselves, say, well, I'm only, gonna, I'm only gonna spend time with people who are like me, right? And life would be so much easier if we did this, right? Only, only people who believe the same things as I do, parent the same way that I do, vote the same way that I do, live the same way, have the same values, like that, man, it's so much easier, right? Or... We shout, we demonize, and then we run. Man, what's wrong with us? And I, I don't just mean politics and news. I mean, that's kind of the easy target that we can point to. But like, in our relationships, we do this more and more. Our, our close friends, family members at work, I mean, some of you in, in our marriages, like, we've experienced what it's like to do this. And we know we, know we shouldn't. It sure feels like it's only getting worse, right? I mean, I'm not making this up, am I? We feel this. And I think everyone here, whether you're a Christian or not, and regardless, we're really glad you're here. We want to be a place for you to come and explore these things of who Jesus is. But regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, I think we would all agree that the church ought to be different, right? That Christians ought to be different, Are we? I mean, what, what happens when Christians disagree? It's going to happen, people, right? It's going to happen right here in this room, right? At times, it's going to happen with the person you're sitting next to, with your, your closest friends and family members. It's going to happen in your community group, your Bible study. Like, like, I promise you, it is going to happen here. So what are you going to do when it happens? Shout, demonize, run, and then just start the whole process over again someplace else? Or will you and I be different? Will we be different? If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 15. I'm going to read a lot of it as, as we go this morning. It's a long chapter, and there's a lot that's going on here. And what's so interesting to me is that you and I, 
Like we get a front row seat on what is, I mean, without a doubt, the biggest disagreement within the first century church. I mean, it is, it is a disagreement in which like everything is on the line for, for the early church. Thousands of years of history and culture, buckets of personal preference. I mean, for some, it felt as if their very identity was on the line. For, for others, it seemed as if their, their salvation in Christ is on the line. And if they had disagreed, like you and I tend to disagree today, I'm not sure any of us would be here right now. Would the church have survived? I mean, would Jesus be anything more than a footnote in human history, even if that? Everything hinges on how they handle this disagreement. But by the grace of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they stay together and they work it out. They debate, they disagree, they, they argue, they compromise even. But they hold to an essential principle that has to be true in the church. Whether it was 2,000 years ago or today, it has to be something we grab onto that it is better to disagree together than to have it easy apart. It is better to disagree together, to work it out, to, to get through the mess of it than to have it easy apart. And so this morning, we're going to walk through this story. And a story, again, I'm not exaggerating. It could have utterly torn the early church to shreds. And I, as we do, I mean, it's a big story. There's a lot that we're going to cover. But there, there are four principles that jump out to me in particular about how they disagreed but stayed together anyway. Principles that I think we need today. Okay, so Acts, Acts chapter 15. Go to the story. Uh, in, in many ways, you know, spoiler alert, like if you've been with us any length of time, if you're here when we, we talked about Galatians, like we have been, we've been over this over and over again. This, it's the same argument, okay? Um, and we're going to look at it a little bit of a different angle this time, but it's the same disagreement we've been talking about for months in the early church, in Acts, in Galatians, and it's, it was a central theme there. And, but today, Acts chapter 15, like this is the final showdown. This is like, we got to get everybody in the room. We got to figure out what is God doing? What has he said in the past? And how are we going to move forward? Everything hinges here for them. And their question, it's a simple one, but it's really, really, really important. The question is, who can be a Christian and how? Who gets in? And how do you get in? And so for them, I mean, if... If you're, you're Jewish back then in the early church, it made sense. Like, Jesus was Jewish, the disciples, the apostles. Like, if you're Jewish and you believe in Jesus, like, that's, that's an obvious, you get into this. But what if you're a Gentile, which is probably most of us in this room? Like, what if you're not Jewish? What if you're an outsider to this conversation? Do you have to become Jewish first? And how, how they decide in that day is going to determine you and I and whether or not we can be a part of this thing this faith. And so look at, look at verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, there's our favorite word again, sorry about that, um, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. I mean, clear, like, nope, not going to happen, okay? No way. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. 
and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. They were all there. Luke, as he's writing, everybody was in the room and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, nah, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And Paul had to be like, did you just, did you hear what I just said? Thousands of Gentiles have come to belief in Jesus. Those who've been outside, who've been far from God, who've had all these other idols, they, they've said, yes, no, Jesus is the, he's the one. We, they've given their life to him. They, they've received the Holy Spirit. They, we've, we've done this. I mean, Paul had to be absolutely just flabbergasted. Really? Yeah, but have they been circumcised? Huh? I mean, this is, this is it's ridiculous in some ways, but this is exactly how religiosity works. This is what we do, right? We get so hung up on our own pet projects, our little things that we think are so important, that are absolutely necessary, that we forget about what's really at stake here. You can ignore what God is doing. It's almost like, in our context, it's like, well, yeah, but Paul, how do they vote in the last election? Huh? Tell us that one, Paul, right? It's getting personal now. It's going to get worse, but... Okay, so, so Paul, I mean, he's like, like, what's, like, what is wrong with you? They've experienced Jesus. And I don't, I don't want to rehash all this. We did this in Galatians. If, if you want to go back and listen to those messages from Galatians, by all means, they're, they're on our website. You can, you can podcast them as well. Um, I don't want to talk anymore about circumcision if I don't have to. I'm kind of done. Um, but we have to enter their world for a minute. And when we looked at Galatians, we, we predominantly looked at it from the view of a Gentile, but let's look at it for a second from, from the Jewish perspective of what, what's at stake for them. Like, if you're, if you're Jewish, how are you feeling in this moment? Because, yeah, our, our world is incredibly polarized right now, so I think we can understand that a little bit, but you have got to imagine the world of a Jewish Christian because you've grown up with all these laws. All you know are these laws, and you know that they, they've been put in place to protect you, to set you apart from the Gentiles, from their idolatry, from the things that they have done, and they're, they're there's safety in them, right? And everything you'd ever heard about Gentiles. Because if you're, if you're a Jewish, you only lived with other Jews. You only married other Jews. You only did business with other, other, other Jews, right? The people that you hung out with, played with, talked with, worshipped with. Like, it was that kind of, of community. So, I mean, sure, you saw Gentiles around town, but you always kept your distance. You'd never been in the home of a Gentile. You'd never eaten pork or shrimp. You've certainly never had a meal with a Gentile. Like, you've, you've always stayed as far as you can from their vile temples. Ugh, I mean, you knew, you knew how many idols they worshipped. Like, you wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. And, and the, the sexual abuse that happened in those places. I mean, you'd seen the prostitutes outside their temples. You'd heard the rumors of every kind of forbidden sexual practice and how they'd eat anything. And these differences had existed for 2,000 years. I mean, we think about the differences today over the last few decades, right, between Democrats and Republicans, or, or may, maybe between men and women or other races, ethnicities, nationalities. But these folks in our story, they'd never spent any time with each other, ever. And now they're supposed to worship together. Bear each other's burdens. 
eat meals together, spend time in each other's homes. Like, if you're Jewish in this moment, you feel like you need to take a shower just for thinking about it. Man, it would have been so much easier to just segregate, right? You do your thing, we'll do our thing, and it'll be fine, right? But they don't. And that's, that's the first thing, the first principle for me. I mean, everything is about to erupt in this story, and it could go in a variety of directions, but they don't run, even though it would have been so much easier. And for us, friends, we don't run. In the face of disagreement, debate, argument, we do not run. Even when we're offended, when, we're, when, we're, when our feelings are hurt, when our preferences are taken away, we do not run, even though it'd be easier. Because like, if I were Paul in this story, man, I don't need you. Like, last story in the last city, like, they were, the Gentiles, they were calling me Hermes. Like, they were practically worshiping me as a god. Like, Paul could have just said, you know what? We're not going to do this. Right? He's got, he, he could have done that. We're going to do a Gentile church and a Jewish church. And yeah, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll like, we'll, but from a distance, we'll like each other. Right? But they don't. Instead, they actually move towards each other. They talk about it. They debate. They argue. They compromise. It is heated, but they do it together, and Paul and Barnabas actually submit to the process. Listen, friends, it is, it is always easier to run. Some of you will. Some of you are going to do that in your marriage. Some of you, some of you are going to grow up, and you're going to leave the house, and you're going to run from your parents. Some of you have already done that with family and friends, and you, you burn bridges. I mean, for some of you... Like, you're here because it was easier than trying to work through it at your previous church. The disagreement, the frustration. It's what we humans do. Conflict comes and we want to run. It's always easier. But they don't. Because working through disagreement in the church isn't an option. This isn't something we just pick and choose when we disagree or argue. In diversity in a church... I mean, true diversity of every kind, it's not just a preference issue. It's a gospel issue. And what we see the early church doing to say is we are better together, even though it would be easier apart. Man, the church has failed at this, haven't we? How many church splits? How many arguments? Racism? Divisions? But no, no. When the going gets tough, The first step isn't to complain, to pick sides, to run. Step one is to get together, to choose to be together. So they they do. And they get, they get everybody in the room, the, you know, the, the elders, the, the apostles, they're, they're all there. I mean, it's, a, it's like a, a, a council, right? And they're there to, to figure out, again, what, what has God done in the past? What is he doing right now? What has he said in the scriptures? They have the Old Testament at that point. So how, how are they figuring out? What do, and what do we see God continuing to do? And so Peter, they're all there, right? All the big names, right? Peter gets up. Look what he says in verse 8. It says, God who knows the heart bore witness to them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we Jews will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus 
just as the Gentiles will. He's like, guys, we haven't been able to keep the law. Look at our track record. Open the, the first half of this book. We're a mess. Why, why would we tell them that they have to do the same things that you and I and our fathers and our father's fathers have never been able to do? It has to be grace. And for Peter, this is the hill he's going to die because he knows. He knows how he's failed, right? He knows how his, his, his ancestors have failed. Look at all. It has to be grace. And so Peter says, no, no, it's, we're saved the same way. Not by a list of rules or preferences, but grace. And Paul then also he gets up, he tells sort of the story of what's happening in this missionary journey. He's got all these examples, like, what about this guy and 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 this guy? And we've seen the Holy Spirit, God himself, come into them. What about them? And then James gets up. I, I, I love this. I mean, James, is, he's a big deal. And he, he, he opens the scriptures, and he reads a few passages. You can find them there, some of them. But what he's doing is he's, he's reminding his fellow Jews this has always been God's plan. Like, this, isn't, this isn't a brand new thing that God has a heart for all people. We've seen this over and over, and you can look at all kinds of, this is like one or two places in the Old Testament. Over and over again, you see that God set apart his people, the Jews, but as, as to be a door, a welcome to the world, to the nations, to everyone, to the Gentiles. That God's heart has always been for everyone. Here, here's what they're doing, because they're, they're, not, they're not waiting through their personal preferences anymore. I mean, that's, that's a lot of our arguments right there. It's like, well, I prefer it this way, right? But they're not, they're not doing that. They're not, they're not hung up on their hobby horses, the things that they get stuck on. They're not worried about what's popular or comfortable. They are figuring out what matters most so they can stick to it. And that, that's the second thing. Like, when disagreement comes, like, we have got to figure out what matters most and stick to that, and let the rest, let the rest be details. And, and for the early church and for us, the scriptures settle it. That's, that's where they go. And at the, at the center of this story is a God who comes to rescue his people. Not because we were so good or because we had the right credentials, but simply out of his grace for us. That that is our story, that is the center, and that is what they go back to. And he is our authority. And so we don't want to ever confuse what we believe with what we prefer or assume that our cultural expectations are the right expectations. And the only, the only way to do that is with this book. Something out, outside of our own culture, outside of our own experiences that can speak into it. And we have to do that together in community because there are challenges to understand here. But here is our authority. And once we know that, the rest has to be details. And it's not that it's, the details are unimportant, Right? They're just not the hills we die on anymore. Doctrine matters. But it ought to push us together, not tear us apart. And so you've got to get to know this book. Get to know what we believe. There are ways we can do it. Let us help you in that if you want to know more of how we, how we come to those places. Okay, so go back to the story then. Because they, they determine the truth, okay? They get together, they determine the truth. And for some of us, we're like, well, that's end of story, right? Once you know the truth, you're done. They all live happily ever after. No, that's not how it works, right? Because they still have to get along. Like, like you still have these, these incredibly different groups of people who have to now interact together and love one another. And so these, these last two points point to that. And they're so easy, I think, for us to forget. Uh, but they're so, so important. 
So, so again, the Christians, they, they get together, they settle what matters most, and then they write back to the Gentile Christians. Okay, they write this letter. Um, it's kind of Luke's way. He tells this story multiple times because he tells what happens and he, then he writes, they write a letter. And so it's like, it's emphasizing, like, in case you didn't hear it the first time, right? It's over there. You can see it over and over again in, in chapter 15. And so they write a letter, you know, dear Gentile Christians, love your brothers and sisters, the Jewish Christians, which is a big deal, right? Even that language that they use. So look at it, verse, verse 23. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, like this isn't just nobody, right? The apostles and the elders, to the brothers and sisters, who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. And I love that. It's like, this was not our idea. We're sorry they came. They weren't from us. But because they came, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden. Stop, stop there. No greater burden. Like every, every non-Jewish person in this room should just... No greater burden. You don't have to become Jewish first. You don't have to embrace, that's what they're saying, all the the religious ceremonial rules and regulations that they were bound by. I mean, really, what what it gets down to is like, you don't have to stop being you to come to Jesus. You don't don't have to leave yourself behind, right? The things that you grew up with. I mean, yeah, there are changes and the gospel confronts all of that, but you don't stop being you. Think about the relief for the Gentiles. I'm grateful they had this conversation, aren't you? But see it now from the other side. So yeah, big sigh of relief for the Gentiles. What about those Jewish Christians, though? I mean, you got, you got to believe. I mean, they're in. They're writing this letter. They're sending people to say it. But this, this is a terrifying moment for them. Because, yeah, they, they agree on, on what's true. But this does not make it easy. I mean, they're committing right there that we are together, one, equal with one another. And we're going to worship together. We're going to love one another. We're going to care for each other. To be family with others who are radically different from people who for 2,000 years, they said, no, you are unclean. You are outside of the people of God and we're going to keep you at a distance. And they are saying to them, you don't have to clean yourself up for us. You don't have to stop being you to be a part of this family. You don't have to join our culture or, or love the same preferences that we have. You don't have to dress a certain way, act a certain way, speak a certain language. None of that. Because Jesus died for you, and we both trust him. You can be you, and we can be together. And, and again, like, I hope, I, I hope you hear that and think, man, that's, that's, that'd be shocking even for us to say to people who are very, very different from us. But for, for them, back, this is absolutely radical. This is earth-shattering, world-changing kind of stuff. This has never happened before in human history. Groups that are this different, getting together for this new thing called Jesus. And so here, here's the third thing that, that I think jumps out here, the principle that I find, that we find in this text, is that we grant freedom to others even when it makes us uncomfortable. That's what they're doing. 
We grant freedom to others even when we don't like it. Because once you've determined what matters most, everything else is, is details. And yes, details matter, but you have to compromise like crazy on the details. But it's worth it. So maybe, maybe a few examples for us. I mean, we're not going to split over what kind of music should be played on Sundays. It's just not going to do it, right? It's not worth it. We're not, not going to fight over how to school our kids or, or whether or not you should drink alcohol or see certain movies. We're just not going to fight over those things. We're going to love both the Republicans and the Democrats and everybody else who attends this church. Yeah. Love them, right? I mean, honestly, I, in some ways it feels like an easy target, but that's probably the closest thing we have in our, in our culture today of, of the, the vast differences between seeing the world, between Jew and Gentile and, and the way politically we, we, get so, we get so confused, so lost. Can we do that, people, as a church? Some of you are like, where are they? Listen, another thing, we are, we are certainly not going to make people who look different from us embrace our culture or language before they're given the same status as us, not in the church. We're not going to give preferential treatment to people who are the same as us, who look the same, act the same, have the same history or language, culture, education level, or finances. Because if they can make a compromise like this, what is What's stopping us? We have to. I mean, here, here's the deal. This is, this is, I think, what the early church understood, maybe even better than they realized at this moment, is that every culture is broken, fundamentally broken. Jewish culture is broken. Gentile culture is broken. Both of them are broken. And for me, like the water I swim, that's, that's as a white American, and my culture is fundamentally broken. The way I see the world through my, my lens is broken. And I need redemption. And no matter how you see the world, no matter what you look like or how you grew up, every, every culture is broken. And we need redemption. I mean, this is, this is why, in many ways, Christianity is found everywhere. Right? We've, we've talked about this. There's no center to Christianity. I mean, for, for Islam, it's the Middle East. For Hinduism, it's India. For secularism, it's predominantly, almost exclusively in the West. But Christianity, there's no headquarters. It's everywhere. It's because it's not bound to a certain language or culture or people or race or ethnicity. It's, it's everywhere, everywhere you, you look because, because every culture is broken and every culture, every person needs this God, this Jesus who's come. And if we start at that, at that level, right, realizing, yes, like Peter said, it is all but grace or, or nothing at all. If we realize how desperate we are, then, we'll, then yes, open arms, Right? We'll understand what it's like to, to welcome people, to love others. I mean, Christians should be the most culturally flexible people on the planet and the most culturally sensitive because we know my way of seeing the world is not the right one, not my culture, not my way, not the eyes that I look through, and the gospel is the thing that levels all of us. And this means, friends, if we actually believe this, it's going to get messy. It's going to be uncomfortable I mean, I, I have to be able to say, you have to be able to say there are good Christians who voted differently than I did in the last election. Can you say that? You and I, we have to be able to, 
to say that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up my own preferences, my own desires for the sake of others. I have to be able to say there are good Christians whose culture I don't understand that I need to accommodate for to be more welcoming to them because it is better to disagree together than to have an easy apart. And that leads to the last thing. One more. And these, these go hand in hand, both these last two, because they're, they're two sides of the same coin, essentially. And so on the one hand, we fight for the freedom of others, and we should, right? You, you and I as Christians, we, we should fight for the freedom of others, even when it makes us uncomfortable, even when it's things we don't like. While on the other hand, we give up our own freedom even when we don't have to. That, that's the next thing we see. For, for the sake of, of community, for the gospel, I mean, give up our own, our own rights. In the, in the gospel, we restrict our own freedom out of love. It's not enough to be right to be like Jesus. I, I may have lost some of you there. Like you think, oh, being right, that's everything, right? No, actually it's not. Being right's important. Truth matters. But it's not enough to be like Jesus. You also have to love. You know, one of the things we often say in our household, our family, I don't know, it's not original with us. I don't remember where we got it. Um, but we remind our kids and ourselves regularly, it's better to be kind than right. Those arguments, those moments, and, and again, I've lost some of you by saying that. You're like, well, this church doesn't stand for anything. I'm out of here, right? I get that. It's not true. Hang with us for a while and you'll see. We, we, if it's in this book, we will talk about it and we, we're not going to hide from any issue or any struggle. We're going we're gonna to absolutely talk about the hard things because this book is the only thing that we have that speaks into our, our culture. But we're going to do it from a position of love, of humility, of grace, because we know our way of seeing the world is not, is not the right one always. What does, this, what does this have to do with them? Well, you see, Jewish, the Jewish, Jewish Christians in this story, they don't just tell the Gentile Christians, okay, you're good now, you can do anything you want. They, they mention a few things, and if you read this text, it's like, man, what, what is happening here, right? It just seems so, so out of place. And so they make a request, basically, of the, the Gentiles, the Gentile Christians. Verse 19 it says, therefore, my judgment is, this is James talking, that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain four things, from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. And this is where, like, culturally, like, we just have no idea what's going on, right? I mean, it just, it feels so out of place. Like, we've just said, like, Jesus, right? And now it's like you give these, these odd, these odd things. And, and, I mean, there's a lot that's happening here. I mean, we could, just at the surface level, like, idolatry, that's the classic Gentile sin. And so at the very least, I mean, they're saying, like, you can't have Jesus and Zeus. It's just not going to work, right? And they, they had tons of gods, and so they're saying, you know what, this is, you can't do that, okay? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, Jesus has got to be, he's got to be the one. You can't, you can't compromise on that. And, and sexual morality, I mean, that's, it, may, it feels a little bit out of place, but all throughout the scriptures, like, that's the common theme. Like, sex is for marriage, right? For the marriage, the covenant relationship, that's where it belongs, and so they tell them that. And so those, you know, those we can kind of understand, but things that are strangled in blood? Like, what, what is really going on here? Well, many scholars believe that these have to do with, with Jewish cleanliness. And we've talked about that right at the beginning. Because these all kind of fit into a similar category. Food polluted by idols, strangled meat, blood, even sexual morality. These were all common staples within the pagan temples. Is how they did things back then. And, and even uh, like the Roman world, like Gentiles would often buy their groceries at the pagan temples. Right? So your vegetables, your fruit, and your meat would often be, have been sacrificed to the, to the pagan gods. 
And Paul talks about this in, in like Romans and 1 Corinthians. And I mean, essentially, he says food is food. Like, don't, don't, don't overthink it, right? It's just, it's food. But, but now, you got to locate it culturally. Like, this is the first time this has happened, Jew and Gentile together. Like, how are they going to do this? I mean, picture, I, I kind of think of like the, you know, the first middle school dance. You know, you got all the girls on one side, all the boys on the other. Like, that's kind of, they're just, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. Nobody, nobody knows what to do in that moment. And that, this, is, this is the early church. And this has never happened before. And they got to they gotta worship together, break bread together, share meals with one another. And if you're Jewish, go back to that mindset. If you're Jewish, you get nervous just thinking about it. And even though it sounds silly, you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to make it through the buffet line? Like, I don't, what do I pick? How do I do this, Right? And again, it sounds ridiculous, right? But it could have torn the church apart. And so many, many scholars think this a lot has to do with, with the Jews, just kind of a polite request for hospitality. We know you're free, but would you limit our, your freedom for our sake? Like, it's, like we're, not, we're just not ready for it yet. Like Gentiles, welcome in because of Jesus. We're, we're family now, and we will fight for your freedom, and we hope that you'll fight for ours. We're good, but just do us a favor. Like no bacon-wrapped shrimp. At the, at the potluck, right? Don't, don't buy your meat at the temples and, and bring it to us. We know it's just meat, but it's just, we're, not, we're, not, we're not ready for that. And so, for example, expert Daryl Bach, he writes, there is a cultural sensitivity here where the issue is not establishing a fixed set of practices, but respecting the practices of others and not forcing oneself on another because of such views. But again, it's not enough to be together. It's not enough to be right. It's not enough to enjoy your freedom. The ultimate law for this new group of people, for you and I, the ultimate law for Christians is love. And we gladly restrict our freedom for love. We give up our preferences, our desires, even our rights for love. So a few examples. If, you're, if you have a recovering alcoholic over for dinner, don't serve wine, Right? When your ultra-conservative family comes over, don't watch that show, right? Like, if you know that you always disagree on politics and you get super angry in those moments, like, try to avoid the, the conversation. And, and if somebody hurts your feelings at church because it's going to happen, forgive. You don't, you don't have an option on that. Forgive. As Christ has forgiven you. And anytime we forgive, that is a, that is a sacrifice, isn't it? I mean, maybe, maybe another example is a silly one, I guess, but I, mean, I love bacon. Mm. Anybody else? Love me some bacon. And I'm free to eat bacon. Praise Jesus, right? I think, I think that's true. We're good. A little pulled pork on the side. Um, love it. But like in, in a context like, like today, so let's, let's just say we ha- had a, a group of former Muslims worshiping here with us at church. You know how they grew up. And let's say Kelly and I were to have them over for dinner. We're, just, we're not going to serve them bacon. We could, but why? Like, why, why do that to another person? Why make them uncomfortable in that way? Why push it when it's so easy to just give up, give up our own freedom, give up a little bit of our own preference, our own desires? I mean, one, one way to help us here maybe is just to tr- just try to see life in the perspective of others. I mean, if you're, if you're white, Imagine what it'd be like growing up African-American in our country. Just step back and 
Enter somebody else's shoes for a moment. If you were born here, imagine what it would be like to be an immigrant. If you grew up speaking this language, imagine how hard it must be later on in life as an adult to learn it. Figure out what matters most. Let everything else be detailed. Sacrifice your own preferences, your own desires for the sake of love, because it's what Jesus did. It's what he did for you and for me. And again, this, this means, church, like, you're not going to like every sermon that's preached. Some of you are ready for this one to be over. You're not going to like every song that's sung. You're not going to like everybody sitting next to you in this room. Conflict is inevitable, right? We're humans, and we have our desires and our preferences. But we remind ourselves, it's not about you. Church isn't about you. Life isn't about you. Not ultimately. It is about a God who we've offended but who loves us anyway, who comes who, to rescue us, who gave up his own freedom, traded it for a cross, who, who could, have, could, have, could have run away, what, run away could have kept his distance, but instead he comes to, to get us, to rescue us. And because of this, all is grace. So we, we can die to ourselves. We can put aside our own preferences and desires. We can sacrifice our own freedom because he came not just for individuals, and yes, individuals matter, but he came to build a community for himself of every tribe, tongue, and nation, of every kind of person from every kind of background, every kind of disagreement and opinion. That's the family that he wants, and that's the the family he intends to get. And so, friends, it is better for us to disagree and stay together, because there we're with him the one who saves us, than it is to have it easy on our own. We need God's help. Let's pray. Father, first, I just want to thank you that these real people 2,000 years ago had the good sense, yes, empowered by your spirit and um, by your sovereign hand, not minimizing that, but that they that they got together and they talked through these things because without that, me as a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, God, we wouldn't be here. Salvation would have been too restrictive, too closed off to spread to us. So thank you for Peter and for Paul and for James and for the early church fathers there at this council who said, no, let's, let's open wide our arms and let them in. And I'm thankful for a God who has even wider arms for each one of us. So, Father, I I just, I pray that we would do like they did. That you would empower us through your spirit as you empowered them, because it's the only way it's possible. God, that we would fall on our knees before you with grace, with humility, with compassion towards others. And that even when we disagree, Even when it's hard, even when we're very different, we would stay together out of love for each other and love for you. Do this, Lord Jesus, we pray. This is the kind of community that we're going to end up in for, for, for eternity. Give us a taste of that even here now, we pray. Amen. Well, that's the kind of church we want to be, right? God help us. Well, as we, as we end our time together this morning, I just want to take a moment here. Uh, if you're here last week, uh, one of our elders, Ryan Deeker, uh, shared with us about Christ Community sabbatical policy. Uh, that we, uh, our pastors, every seven years, they get, they get 12 weeks off uh, as, as a time of rest and renewal, not as a reward, but as an, as an investment so that we have healthy pastors for, for the long haul. 
Um, and so I wanted to just take this moment to say, see ya. Uh, I'm out. Uh, yeah, don't clap for that. Come on. What are you thinking? But I, I just wanted to take a moment to say, uh, first of all, just how grateful I am. I mean, we, this is such an incredible thing. This is our second time that we've been able to do this as a church. We've been here uh, long enough to experience that. And it's, it's such an incredible gift, such an investment in me and my family. And we feel really, really loved. And so this is my, this is my last day until October 1st. It's a long ways away. It's crazy, right? Some of you are like, really? Yeah, really. Um, I'm going to read. Some of you, I know you're, some of you will ask, read and study and pray and sleep and rest and exercise and be present with Kelly, uh, be present with my kids, uh, do some travel. There'll probably be a national park or two somewhere in there, if you know me. Um, and visit other churches as well, and hopefully learn from other, other churches as, as well. And uh, to honor, honor your investment, my email is going to be turned off later this afternoon, so don't bother. It's not going to happen. Um, I will never see that email. So uh, I'm not going to be on Facebook. Uh, I practically bury my phone in the backyard. Um, so we're, I'm going to disappear. Uh, Kelly and the kids will be here uh, when, they're, when we're in town. And so, I don't know, be nice, I guess, um, to them <laughs> while I'm gone. Um, but I, I'm going to miss you. Uh, again, this is my second, second go at this. And I can tell you, and this caught me off guard the first time. I'm a little bit prepared for it, but it got me emotional. Sorry. Got a little emotional in that last, that last song because the hardest part last time, and again, I didn't see this coming. And you're, some of you are like, a hard part? 12 weeks off? Um, yes, there is one. The hardest part is that I, I won't be here for 12 weeks with you. Um, I love this church. Like, this isn't just a job, right? This is a, a family, a community. I know, I know it's good for, to, to pull away, right? And I, I, I believe in that. But that, it's going to be hard. I'm going to miss you. Um, I hope you know that. It's going to be hard. I'm excited to visit other churches, but it's, this, this is home, right? Well, let me, let me, three quick things before I go. Uh, first, and I know you already know this. So I want to say it, say it anyway. You're going to be fine. Like, don't worry about it. Like, there's an awesome team here, right? Reed and Patrick and the whole team. Uh, I'm serious. I'm not worried about you all even just a tiny bit. So it's going to be great. Uh, they're going to have fun, I'm sure, without me. Um, yeah, I can see that look. Yeah. Um, <laughs> second, second, I want to ask... Uh, Maybe this sounds selfish. I hope it's not. Pray for us. Um, the purpose of this time away is renewal. Um, but I'm not naive to think that all, all that takes is time off, right? God's got to show up. Uh, he's got to do that work in me, and I've got to be open to it. So pray for that for us. For renewal, for refreshment, for excitement, for laughter, for joy, good family time, safety. Uh, pray that Kelly doesn't get too sick of me. I mean, just imagine me at home in your house every day, um, <laughs> right? Super fun. Pray for, pray for us. Uh, and, and pray that I'd return eager and overjoyed. Um, I have no reason to think that's not going to happen, but pray that it would. Pray that God would use that, um, that I would be thrilled to come back in 12 weeks and, and ready to go. So uh, ready for the next seven years, truthfully. And finally, again, I just want to say thanks. Um, it, it means so much that we have a church who cares so deeply for us and for our pastors and leaders to do something like this. We feel really, really loved. And your words of encouragement these last couple of weeks, um, yeah, we're just, we're blown away by your investment in us. I love you. Uh, I miss you already. That's not true. Um, <laughs> but I will miss you, most of you, uh, in, the weeks, in the weeks ahead. Uh, well, why don't, we, why don't we stand for the benediction? As we go from this place, for all of us, both into work and to rest, 
to, to family life and friends, all the places in which God has put you, um, as you live out your calling, as we go, right, the church in all the places in which we're found. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen? Go in peace.